All right, tonight, if you will, the book of Acts. And let me tell you approximately where we're going to be whenever we start. We'll be in chapter 21. I'm going to go in the midst of where we were whenever we uh, stopped last time. But let's see, probably around verse 30. Acts 21 and verse 30 is where we'll begin here in just a moment. Um, the book of Acts like most of the scripture. It is not just simply trying to convey information, although it is sharing with us the lives of various individuals and the things that they experience. But the scripture, just like salvation history as a whole, is talking about what God is desiring to do in his world, his acts of salvation reaching out to mankind. And as you study this word, as you look at what's happening within the church, one of the major things, and this is part of what we're going to be talking about Sunday, but God is looking for people that will lay hold of him, yes. But saints, so many times, the reason why the church falls short or people fall short of what God desires for them. And I'm not talking about just sin. I'm talking about the things that God would desire to do. It's because we don't hang in there. And that sounds simplistic. You hear it. Well, we don't hang in there. Okay, no, no, no. Listen to me. God is looking for people that will put their hands to the plow and not let go. This next statement is not a statement of criticism or judgment it is a statement of reality okay let me pick on ministers for a minute let me pick on pastors for just a second in many churches the reason why churches do not achieve or pastors do not accomplish those things or let me go one step further the reason why pastors step out of ministry is because they give up they give up and you might say, well, why are they giving up? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Sometimes the pastors, uh, for whatever reason, maybe they either weren't called or let's just say uh, they've been discouraged or they're just fed up with things. And there's a reason why the Bible says not to lay hands on anyone suddenly. That is not to lay hands upon a novice, a person that has never, you know, taken a few on the chin, Okay. It takes temperance. We're running a race of endurance, okay? And God expects us to hang in there, not to give up. But I'll tell you, regardless of a lot of things that may happen, yes, pastors are discouraged. Sometimes they have difficult churches that they're dealing with. They have a lot of things that mount up in their lives. Then the devil ends up attacking their families. And the next thing you know, there's all these weights that are upon them. And there is a tremendous, and this can happen in the Christian or the believer's life, anyone. But things weigh, to, weigh us down or weigh upon us more and more. And then there comes a point where we have to make a decision. Or let's just say the enemy will make sure that we have to make a decision. And it comes in this, do we endure or do we walk away? Now, I'm not saying that this is a perfect scenario, nor am I saying that this applies in every situation, 
But what I am saying is I have observed this in the lives of many pastors. I've observed it in many churches. And I have observed it in my own life where the enemy has come to me. And because of all kinds of things that have happened in my life, he's come to me before and it's almost like, Shane, are you really going to hang in here? Are you really going to do this? You know, you could go here, you could go there. And I'm not talking about this church. This happened early on whenever I was living in Columbia, South Carolina. So it's been quite a while. But there was a time in which my life could have taken a very, very different turn if I would have just simply said, and I'm not saying that Shane Phillips was super strong, that Shane Phillips was great, that Shane Phillips just laid hold of God and he wasn't, you know, wavering any way. No, I was buckling. I was buckling. There was one particular instance in my life where I told the Lord I was gone. I told him, I said, I'm out. Goodbye. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And the reason why I said I'm not doing it anymore, I said, God, if, if I would have known that ministry was going to be like this, and I'm talking about the things that happened behind the scene, I'd have just walked away. And there for a season, I did. I said, God, I'm out of it until God laid hold of my heart. And people, let me tell you something. There is a truth to you can't. Could I have sinned and just lived in outright rebellion against God? Yes. But it's hard to hold on to God a little bit. You either hold on to him or you let go. And in my heart, there was indeed a fire shut up in my bones, and I couldn't help it. God kept telling me, Shane, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You need to do this thing, and you need to lay hold of me, and you've got to keep going. Now, let me say this. I shared that to kind of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about tonight. Does this just apply to the pastor? No, it applies to the believer. Uh, you think about in your life times that you will be tested. You will suffer hardship. Your feelings will get hurt. A lot of things are going to happen. If you look through the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament, the apostles talk more about this than about anything else. If you can become discouraged, if you can be forced away, the enemy will do everything in his power to make you ineffective, to make you bitter, to make you upset. He's going to do that. But the question is, what will you do? You're going to stumble. Let me go ahead and tell you this up front. Every human being at some point is going to stumble. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to sin. You're going to blow it. But where do you go from there? Do you just simply stay down? The Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, but seven times he gets back up. Why does it say it that way? Because that number of completion, well, just listen. It's simply this. Anytime you fall down, let God help you back up, dust yourself off, and get a going. Do not hang it up. Do not give up. Those, and I'm not just talking about monetarily, I'm talking about life in general. Those that are successful, whether you've got a penny in your pocket or not, are those that do not give up. You do not let go. And especially as believers, we do not let go. Say, Shane, how does this apply? You ever think the Apostle Paul got discouraged? Okay, this is a participatory, participatory event. Okay, let's try this again. Do you ever think the Apostle Paul got discouraged? 
Yes, if he's a human being, he did. Do you think that Paul ever looked out at a church? By the way, you can read this in his letter so we know it happened, but now I'll just kind of be rhetorical in what I'm saying here. But here's the deal. Do you ever think Paul was discouraged and hurt and upset because he went to a church, he loved that church, he was working with it in, in the church, he wanted to see Christ fully formed in him, and then he would leave because he needed to go to another place where he was going to witness, and he saw the wolves coming in and trying to devour the church. Absolutely. Paul would come in and he'd say, this is what Christ says. In the Old Testament, it would have been said this way, thus says the Lord God. In the New Testament, he'd look at you and said, Jesus Christ, the Lord has spoken to me and has said, this is how we will do things. This is what it means to be a part of the church. This is what Jesus Christ has done for you, okay? But yet at the same time, people, the same thing that was happening for, forgive me, y'all, I have a little bit of stubble on my face. By the way, that's all I can grow is a little bit of stubble anyway. My dad says when I go through puberty, this will fill in at some point. Some of you will get that in a moment, too. Not everybody can be cool like Joey. The man shaved one day, the next day he comes in and looks like Grizzly Adams. I tell you, that's a manly man there. I'm trying to grow hair on my face just to prove that I can grow hair somewhere on my head. Now, that's just the truth. Okay? But anyway, a little bit of stubble I got here. I've been playing Mr. Mom for a couple of days, so I didn't get to shave this morning. So I apologize for the speaker, but think about this for a minute. Yes. But here's the deal. Paul also understood this. The church is not his. He may be an under-shepherd of Christ. That is, he's serving under his lordship, and he may be loving and caring for these churches and doing things, but ultimately, who protects the church? Is it the pastor? Is it the apostle? Is it the prophet? Is it all those people? No. God protects his church. God watches over his body. God makes sure his church is taken care of. Do we have hiccups? Do we have problems? Do wolves occasionally come in? Do we have these things that do happen? And will we do everything that we can, not just simply as a pastor, but as believers to make sure that whenever discouragement or all these other attacks that may come into the body, do we do our best to make sure that we stay them off? Absolutely, that's what we're supposed to do. But understand this, God loves his church. You are his people, and God's going to watch over you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to nurture you. That's the way it's going to be. You might say, and, and I know the thought is this, and yes, pastors uh, are there to help equip the saints for the works of the ministry and to help us in our understanding of, of, of the scriptures and in walking in obedience to God. That is true. But ultimately, God is a person that puts the individual there. God, by his Holy Spirit, is the one that's working in your hearts, and God is the one that is taking care of his body. Now, I want to tell you this. There's a lot of things you can do in this life, and God, in his mercy and his grace, will do everything to, to nurture you, to discipline you, to bring you to where you need to be so that you continue to walk with him. But there is one particular sin, and I'm not talking about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Just listen to me for a minute. There is one sin that really, really gets God's dander up. Really, you want to see him move, you want to see him do something real quick, hurt the body. Hurt the body of Christ. Do something that will take away 
from their spiritual development, hurt them in, in their walk with God, and you will see God move decisively. The reason being, no one has the right to hurt God's babies. No one. So, whenever you look at the Apostle Paul here, we're going to see him being faithful, walking with God, preaching, teaching the truth, and he is hated for it. He's hated. You're going to see people in just a moment that, that, that in their hearts what they're saying is, hey, let's kill him. For what? Well, he's saying things that we don't like that he says. Okay, I've known a lot of people that, that taught things different than the way I taught them. I've known people from other denominations, but I never looked at somebody who at least was trying to walk with God and said, boy, I wish that person was dead. Or let's get a group of people together and let's go kill them. Never done that. But you see it here. Remember this in the back of your minds. Jesus said this. If they have hated me, understand they're going to hate you. If they have called me, Jesus, the son of the living God, if they have called me Satan, how much more are they going to say about you? One of the hardest things for me, and I'll, and I'll admit this, for me, Shane Phillips, one of the hardest things for me in my Christian walk is to do the very thing that Christ commanded. He said, when you are persecuted for your faith, and sometimes people, I'm not saying that I don't deserve some of what I get, okay? I do. But let me say this. The times that I have been persecuted for my faith, Jesus said this, rejoice, rejoice, and be exceedingly glad. Okay, let me put that in Tennessean. He's saying, be exuberantly happy. Shout, clap your hands, do the Holy Ghost two-step. When you're persecuted, why? Why would he say that that should bring joy to our hearts? He says this, because so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. The point is, is that you are walking in good company. It means that your light and your love for God is such that the enemy recognizes it and wants to extinguish it. Have you ever considered this little light of mine? Okay, not under the bushel. Okay, Shane's here. This little light of mine. Do you realize how brightly it does shine? If we don't it out ourselves if we don't put it under a bushel ourselves people it shines brightly and people need to see it do you know what your obedience to christ in the face of hardship and persecution do you know what it does to your fellow believers who are struggling to to see christ mightily in you Christ mightily working in you does not mean that you are walking above the tide and that you feel no pain, no hardship, that you're never discouraged or you're not even hurting at that moment. It does not mean that. It means in spite of. You choose to identify yourself with your Savior. It means that you recognize that what's going on in your life is experienced by your brothers and sisters all over the world who love him. 
and look forward to his appearing. It means that just like Christ, you want to identify with him, okay? To walk with him. And saints, that is one of the most beautiful sacrifices, a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord when you will not give up and you say, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what they say about me, regardless of what they have said behind my back or otherwise, I will serve you anyway. It's powerful. So now let's dive into the Word and let's take a look at this. So the background is this. Paul has come back to Jerusalem. And in coming to Jerusalem, he finds out there's a lot of people that have heard about this man named Jesus. And a lot of Jews are excited that, uh, oh, yes, okay, now we believe in Jesus, but now you also have to obey the law of Moses. Well, Paul's problem is he looks at him and he says, no, folks, you do not realize how beautiful and how powerful Christ Jesus is. You don't understand what God has done for you. How can you go and offer sacrifices whenever the ultimate sacrifice is made? That is, when God hung his son on a tree, why are you still killing animals? Why are you trying to find some other way through which you can earn God's favor? You couldn't earn it before. You couldn't earn it with the sacrifices. You had to trust and believe God, who may have temporarily given us sacrifices, but they all pointed to one person, Jesus Christ, who would come and die. And in Jesus Christ, all the righteousness that God demanded of us To walk in perfect holiness with him, Jesus Christ did. What our ancestor, the greatest of our ancestors, okay, Adam and Eve did not do. The first Adam did not. The second Adam did. And the second Adam not only walked with God in perfect holiness and obedience, but ultimately gives his life. You remember Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. There's a beautiful and powerful theological point in that. Think about this. How do you kill a perfect man who has no sin? The consequence of sin is death. But think about this. He says, but I choose to lay it down, but I also choose to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. So he lays down his life, a sacrifice for you. He looks at you and me and says, you can't do it. Sin will destroy you. But I am greater than sin, okay? And I offer my life, a propitiation, dying in your place. I will stand between you and, or let's just say this, your sin and God. And I will bring about through my death a new creation, a church. See, we hear the word church and we think of the building. No, a new people, God's body. The church, Christ's body. So he does that, and Paul looks at him and says, no, 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 no. I understand what you're trying to do, but God gave this to us to point us to Christ, to bring us to this. And you say, well, well, where do you get that? Listen, all of these books in Scripture pointed to a time, and we can go back and stay. We're planning on doing this after after we're done with uh, uh, the book of Acts. We're going to go back and, and kind of do this. But think about this. All these books... Even through Israel's failures and struggles, there was always this promise of a king, a Davidic king that was coming. And this Davidic king would not simply just restore Israel, but it says all nations will come to worship him. 
all peoples will know him. That is, God would make a way for everyone to be able to worship him and to know him and that his laws would now be written on the fleshly tablets of our hearts that we no longer serve in the letter of the law but in the grace of his spirit. Does that mean that Christians are lawless? Absolutely not. There is a holiness greater than just the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. It now, God, let me rephrase, God in his power now lives inside of you and me and we walk in obedience to his spirit. And people, that is powerful and it's beautiful and it's more than any other commandment could have ever laid upon us, but now we have that grace to walk and to live in it. So the law is good and it is righteous, but now we have the spirit of God writing that law here. Okay, so they come in and they say, well, you need to obey the law. Well, Paul came in and they say, Paul, please, we need to give a good show, not a show in fake. They were saying, Paul, we need to have a showing because the people have been lied to. They're telling everybody that, Paul, you're going to come in here. You're going to tear up the law that you've been teaching people not to obey the law of Moses, that you're profaning the temple, that you're doing all this other stuff. And Paul, just let them know that you are indeed an Israelite, albeit a Christian, because they even affirmed, they said, Paul, we know that this has already been settled. We just read about this. So it's already been settled. We've already dealt with the Gentiles. We know that these are the only things that they need to do. And we know that this is all that must be done for salvation is Christ Jesus, plus or minus nothing. They said, but Paul, let's have a showing that you are a good, righteous, and even faithful Jewish individual. And they say, okay, we got some people coming in. They're completing their Nazarite vow. You get in here. You go with them. You pay, you know, their, their offerings as they're going to shave their heads and they're going to do it and you be purified. And the people, when they see this, they will recognize that you're a righteous man, that you do recognize the uh, traditions of the elders and that you're not somebody trying to destroy this. Well, that seemed fine and dandy and Paul was willing to do this. But like we talked about last week, Paul knew that at some point he was going to be bound. He was going to be imprisoned and we're going to get to see this take place. So Paul comes in, he's trying to do everything like they said, and something comes about. So if you will, let's take a look at verse 30. Excuse me for a moment. <laughs> you don't want to cough in your ear, but it's kind of hard not to. So let's see here. So it says in verse 30, it says, And all the city was disturbed. So Paul's come in there and they've seen him. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Okay, so they grab Paul, they drag him away, and it says, now as they were seeking to kill him. Does anybody think that's a little excessive? I mean, I, mean, I guess if you don't like people, if your culture allows you to kill them, I guess that's a way to get rid of folks, but probably not God's way. So anyway... It says, now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. People, this is important, okay? Roman occupation. The people that were set over the land, okay? Whether governors, whether it be those people that were under them to help with governing the land. As long as there was peace, Rome was happy. 
But if you kept having these uprisings, then Rome might come in and remove you and say, you know what, you're not doing a very good job of governing the land, so we'll remove you. So here's the pressure. The pressure is this. The governors would say to these officials in given areas, they would say, keep everybody peaceful. Whatever you got to do, keep the peace. And if it keeps going on, make a strong show so that the people will stop so that I can continue in my office with the Roman government. So what's happening is there is this uprising, this attack against the apostle Paul. But even beyond that, it's not just Paul. It's the fact that there is an uprising and they're trying to squelch it. So let's take a look at this. So it says the commander of the garrison and all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Okay, verse 32. So he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. So they're going to stop it right then and there. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. See, this is the neat thing is if you keep reading, you understand what's going on. They didn't just grab Paul. He's on the ground. They are beating him senselessly, okay, on the ground. Now, talked about being discouraged, right? Here you are for Christ's sake. You even went into the temple. You're trying to make a good show of things and let them see, hey, I'm, I'm a good fella. And, and you're still getting beaten senseless? Okay. So they get over there and they pull in the people off. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what, did he, what has he done? So you think that's logical. Go up there, Paul. Okay. What happened? Who are you? Why is this going on? Why, is, why are the people upset? And it says, and some among the multitude cried out one thing and some said another. People, you will notice that this is a recurring theme from the time of Christ even to this time, whether it was with Peter, whether it's with John, whether it's with Paul, Silas, or whoever, or even Barnabas. Whenever the people come together to accuse, their stories don't match up. Now, it's significant because whenever you look at the Jewish law, now I understand these are Romans too, but understand among the Jewish people, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything's brought out. In other words, people had to come and they had to have some continuity to their story. We need to have some accusation. And if you can't come up with an accusation or something that can be verified, it was not taken. Same thing that happened with Jesus. They kept looking for things that says none of their stories would match up. So they look at Jesus and they say to him, what is it that you've been teaching? And Jesus said, don't ask me. Go out there and ask anybody else. There's nothing that I'm saying that is a secret. I'm not trying to hide anything. If you're looking for testimony, go find it. And they still couldn't find it. And then somebody said, well, he said he was going to destroy the temple. And he's like, come on, people. I'm talking about my body, Jesus said three days, I'll raise it up. Well, it's the same thing that happens here. They cannot get their stories together. So in some among the multitude cried out one thing and another. So when he could not ascertain the truth, because it was tumultuous there, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And whenever he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Did you catch that? These are the little details. Not only had they beaten Paul, but Paul was to the point he couldn't walk. So when you hear about Paul being scourged, now notice I didn't say beaten, okay? Scourged, same thing that happened to Christ. When you hear about these things that happened to him and Paul taking it at certain times, depending upon the situation, 
But Paul, there were other times that he was beaten. You remember it says that they thought he was dead. He was unconscious on the ground. If there was anybody that might have said, Lord, I've been good. You know, Lord, let's, let's look at my tick marks here. You know, I've done this, 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 and this. Lord, I've been killed, just about killed at least three or four times. God, I should be good for the rest of this, right? I can sit back on my laurels and kind of let it go. No, 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 no. Paul's still in this thing. That's why I'm talking about not giving up. And it serves it as an example. People, I would be the first to fail. But I'm learning to stay in. Okay? So it says, when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Verse 36. For the multitude of the people following after cried out, away with him. They're not just saying, just get him gone. They want him dead. So verse 37, it says, Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? And he replied, Can you speak Greek? In other words, this is my language. Okay, let's make sure there's no language barriers here. So verse 38, he says, Are you not the Egyptian? Now listen to these words. It says, Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 400 assassins out into the wilderness? In other words, can you imagine all the stories about folk that's been going through the land? This had nothing to do with Paul. But aren't you this troublemaker? Aren't you this? Aren't you that? Whatever the story may be. Verse 39, but Paul said, um, I'm a Jew. You catch this? I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. A citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. He's saying, please let me speak. So he's hoping. Now, now people, there's possibly two things going on. One, of course, he wants to get his message out. But number two, he's probably concerned that if the people don't settle down, the Romans are going to go in there and start killing folks. So he says, let me speak to the people. Verse 40, so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands for everybody to look at him. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language saying, now, by the way, if you go back and you do language studies, uh, the terminology or the language that is used here, it, 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 the term is actually Aramaic, but more than likely what Paul was speaking was Hebrew. Okay, so for you that do word studies and stuff like that, you're going to see a double value there. So anyway, so he spoke to them in the Hebrew language saying, now we get to 22. So he speaks out and he says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. Brethren and fathers, he's showing uh, grace and he's also showing respect to the elders, okay, as well. And when they had heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. So now they're listening, okay? This isn't somebody with Greek or, or Latin or anything else. He's speaking to them. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Cilicia, if I could speak English. He says, but I was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, people, that's significant because whenever you talk about Gamaliel, he wasn't just rabbi. He was rabbon or rabbon. The idea was that he was my teacher, okay, the great teacher. He was a prince of a teacher, in other words. So he had learned in the school of Gamaliel. 
He says, I was taught according to the strictness of the fathers, uh, of our father's law. And he says, I was zealous toward God as you all are today. What is Paul doing? Paul's saying, wait a minute. You think he's being cutting and you think he's being scathing, but he's not. People, even in the midst of his persecution, he's not just looking at him and say, listen here, you lawless hypocrites. I am so hoping that the Romans come in here and do you in. No. He's saying, stop, stop, stop. Calm down. People, let me tell you who I really am. You want to know my background? Here's my pedigree. Okay? I, I'm a Pharisee. I was born, you know, uh, you know of, of the tribe of Benjamin. I, I am a Jew of Jews. I was circumcised on the eighth day, as he talks about in other passages. And he says, you know, in obedience to the law, I was blameless. I've tried to live my whole life by the law. I have followed the traditions. I have kept the law. I've tried to do everything I could. People, if you're looking for a Jew, don't look any further than me. Okay? So he's not doing this just where they'll pat him on the back. He's saying, please give me a little bit of attention so that you can understand what's really happening here. He's uh, appealing to them is what he's doing. So he says, you know, talk about zealousness. He says, just like you're zealous today. The problem was is that I was ignorant, Paul would explain to them. He said, I persecuted this way. Notice way once again is capitalized. The reason for that is Christians were referred to as people of the way. Okay, and other times they would say they went out because of the name, Hashem. But anyway, moving on. I persecuted this way to the death. You know, not only was Stephen being stoned and Paul having authority to throw people in, in, into prison, the ultimate thing was this. If the people wouldn't listen, they were killed. And so Paul was a part of this, and that's what he's letting them know, that I killed Christians. These people of the way. So I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering them into prisons, both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness in all the council of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those uh, were there, oh, excuse me, who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Okay, so think about this. He's saying, this is no secret. You know about my former conduct as well as the church knew. You remember whenever Paul had his conversion experience and he called Ananias and he says, hey, there's a Saul of Tarsus over here and you need to go lay hands on him because he's a chosen vessel of mine. You remember what Ananias said? He said, mm-mm, not going. Go back and read it. He said, mm, I have no desire to go and see Paul. Uh, Lord, if you remember, he kills Christians. And he says, Ananias, go. He's a chosen vessel of mine. In other words, you're going to meet a much different Saul, Saul of Tarsus, okay? But what he's also saying is that if you go back and talk to these people, they will affirm to you, they gave me the letters. The high priest knows this. This is not a secret about who I was and what I was about, okay? So don't look at me like I'm some narrow-minded, foolish individual. He's saying, I know the law, and I followed it as zealously as I could, albeit that I was ignorant of his truth. I still was zealous. So he said he goes to Damascus. He's going to put people in chains, and he's going to bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. Now, verse 6, now it happened as I journeyed. Testimony time, right? Now it happened as I journeyed. 
It's seven o'clock. Joey, just like, okay, 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 hold on. Let's do this. Now it happened as a journey became near to Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So let's stop here, but let me just hit this point. I know this is what I share on the scripture, but it's so important, okay? Take a look at it on the screen. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In some of the scriptures, it says in the Hebrew tongue. So the Lord even spoke to him so that he would understand. But he didn't say here, people, and I know I've shared this many times, but please carry it in your heart. He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you going after these believers? He looks at him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, his next question is, whoa, 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 who are you, Lord? You know who I'm a persecutor. And Jesus literally is standing there before him. He says, I'm Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but for Paul, that was probably one of those moments. Because he's not just looking at the humble king. He's looking into the eyes of God at that moment. Powerful point. All right, Joe, if you'd come up here, we have some people that have asked for prayer tonight, so we're going to pray. And so we'll have a little bit of music, and I will invite Miss Sue up here. And anybody else tonight, if you need special prayer, we would love to pray for you. Or if you need some time at the altar, you're certainly welcome to do that. But we're going to pray in just a moment. And so deacons and ladies, stand ready. If you're here and you're able, if you could slip to the front. As a matter of fact, you can start making your way this way if you want to. And we'll pray in just a moment. But Everybody stand and let's respond. Ask. Uh-huh. 